All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm here today with John Franco. John Franco is the thinker and co-founder of Gorilla 76, an industrial marketing agency in St. Louis, Missouri. John's day-to-day activities are focused on growing and developing a great team rooted in great relationships and creating an award-winning culture. John's mission is to create the best workplace in town. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Well, John, share with us a little bit about your background and really what led you to doing what you're doing now with Gorilla. Sure. So I'm a 2005 graduate of the University of Missouri, Columbia, the journalism school. Went to to school, originally thought I wanted to be a long form news writer, quickly found out that probably wasn't wasn't my thing. I I, I had an aunt that was in the marketing space that opened my eyes to what an agency looks like and and how you can use still like that journalism background in in more of a business environment. So I became a copywriter. Worked a couple of years at a small agent or not a small, good size agency here in St. Louis, but basically at the same time was building Gorilla 76, which is the company I'm a co-founder of on the side. 2008, my business partner and I, he was at another agency. He was a designer. We, we essentially turned in our notice, started Gorilla full time and haven't really looked back since. So, you know, in terms of specifically on the manufacturing space, it, it kind of just happened. We Got some early opportunities kind of in the industrial world. I think we did pretty well with those. I think it matched our design and creative style. So naturally, word of mouth and and different things, you continue to get more opportunities in that space. So finally, I think it was about 2011, 2012, we're like, what if we just hang our hat on this industrial thing altogether? It's It's a fascinating space. Great clients, great people. They truly look at kind of working with us as partnerships, whereas sometimes when you work with some of the big household name brands, I feel like sometimes you're the punching bag when you're the, when, when you're the agency partner. So it's, it's just been great. And, and that's, that's how I've gotten to where I am today, I guess. So when it comes to working with these manufacturers, it's, they want to manufacture. They don't want to spend all of their time marketing and doing that. So leaving that to the professionals. So what are some of the ways that you have found that having good copy, having a marketing presence has helped these manufacturers? And also, what are, is it small to medium manufacturers? Is it medium to large? You know, give us a little bit idea too of, we can, of what you do for them. We kind of describe it as in, in terms of the size, kind of middle market on, on the low end, they might be 15 to 20 million. They're doing a year in business on the high end. They might be 250 to 300. We'll, we'll even extend beyond that. It, it really depends kind of on their internal setup. You know, in terms of what we're doing, it's a very much like we, we know in the manufacturing space, it's typically a very consultative sales process. It's it's not, you know, you're not just calling overnight most of the time being like, hey, I'm going to switch and start working with a different manufacturer, different provider or whatever. It, it's much more of a there's an educational process that needs to be baked into the selling process. And I think that's where we, we really help people. And, and that's where long form content, you know, not promotional copy, not saying, hey, we're the we're the best at doing this, but 
here's why we do it the way we do it. Or here's the, here's one way of how you can do it. No, oh, by the way, that's how we do it. It's knowing that there's a consultative sales process and helping our clients fill their pipeline with people that, that are kind of yearning for that, that are, that are doing information searching, that are looking online to just try to find answers to questions. We're helping put our clients in that position where they're answering those questions. And what are some of the best practices that you're seeing as far as how manufacturers are promoting themselves in the marketplace? It's a variety of things. I think it's anytime you can have transparency and just brutal honesty. And again, don't promote, like don't, don't sell you. I mean, of course you want to always position yourself in the best light, but don't, don't say we're the best or blah, 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 unparalleled customer service or whatever. I mean, everybody says that thing or says those things. I think you truly have to show in terms of like, you know, where we're seeing results, we're, we're seeing results in, in, in content marketing. We're seeing results in kind of the demand gen side of, of the world where, you know, we're doing some more paid social. We don't see a huge payoff on organic social, still do it for a couple of clients, but, but we don't see a ton there. It's not anymore about having the flashiest website or, you know, anything like that. I think at this point, a, a good, a decent website is kind of the barrier to entry. So, you know, that, that obviously needs to be in place. It's really about helping. If, if you can provide content that helps your potential buyer, and, and the only way you can provide that content is by truly understanding your potential buyer. That's a huge part of it is like really like us being able to understand our customer's customer but if you can understand those things and provide truly helpful content, I, I think that's that's going to set you up for the best success now. Um, and sometimes that's written content. Sometimes it's podcast content. Sometimes it's video content. Sometimes it's it, it might be old school print content. It, it's a set of sales sheets that you need to, to mail to somebody or whatever. I mean, there are different applications, but if you're providing helpful content, I think that's step one. And how are you diving into that when you're working with your clients? Is it a, an interview process? Do you yes. walk through the plants? Do you see what they're doing? Because I'm imagining that maybe you're putting into words things that they can't. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think it's all of the above. I, I'd be lying if I said we are great about walking the floors of our clients. I think that's something we need to do a better job of. We also, for the past two years, have had the excuse of we're in a pandemic. But our, what, what we have done is we have hired journalists and like true journalists, not, not fake journalists like I was an advertising copywriter, but true journalists. And what they are really, really good at is taking something that they know minimal to, to nothing about, learning about it and writing about it at a level that other people can understand. And so our we always, we're going to have to have access when we work with a client to the, the subject matter experts within, within a company. We really need access to the customers. We need access to the sales team. It's interviewing and, and early on in our process, we have what's called a knowledge extraction day where we basically will go up, set up on site at, at a client, videotape the whole thing and just pepper them with questions all day long. Pepper different, different players that they've identified as like, hey, these are key st stakeholders that you need to talk to. But yes, having access to the right people is incredibly important. I think that's something that five years ago, we weren't getting that buy-off from companies. A lot of times we would work directly with just the marketing manager, nothing wrong with being a marketing manager I mean, at all. But unless that C-suite is bought in, a lot of times those key stakeholder interviews aren't going to happen because it's, it's totally different if the marketing manager says to an engineer, Hey, I need to get some of your time. Whereas, you know, the engineer is going to push it off, whatever he or she has more important things to do. 
you get the CEO saying, I need you to make time for this interview with our marketing agency. It's going to happen. So anyway, that was a long way to answer your question. But yes, the, inter the interviewing and, and of course, there's the secondary research as well, just the online reading, et cetera. But with a lot of our clients, we're writing about things that haven't really been written about that much. You know, like we are kind of the pioneers in some of these in some of these categories. Right. Well, and some of the other things that you and I talked about before is just the workplace culture that you've developed at Gorilla. It's nice with the, the background that you have in manufacturing and the flat fact that you're not on the plant floor, you're not a manufacturer, there's still a lot of transferable skills that people listening to this can pay attention to because with the great resignation going on right now, it's hard enough to find new talent. So as uh, at the speaking event that I was at earlier this week, I was talking to one of the participants in my program and he said, you really need to cherish the employees you have. And that's not usually a word that you hear in the manufacturing, this was in the trades, but really taking care of focusing on and cherishing the employees, the good employees that you have now because keeping them is going to be much more important than finding new ones. So what are some of the things that you're doing with your culture over there? Because it sounds like it is a pretty cool place to work. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And, I, and to kind of even give more importance, I, I recently did the math in a LinkedIn post on what it looks like for us to hire just for any role. And looking at the time for interviewing, the, the time to write the job description, all those things, onboarding, et cetera, my math came out to about $32,000 per hire. So it's wow. incredibly important to, to keep these people once you get them. Plus, I mean, it's just important for creating a cohesive team. Like you don't want to constantly see turnover. In terms of what we're doing 10 years ago, it was, hey, we have a beer fridge and a ping pong table and we wear T-shirts to work and, hey, we listen to music. And it was, it was all that stuff. And, and don't get me wrong. I think that's still part of like being a marketing agency and, and a good culture. But, but what I have learned now is it's all about the core values. If you truly believe in your core values and they're truly core to who you are and you live by them, the, the good culture will come as a result. So our, our core values are results, improvement, relationships, kindness, and inclusivity. And I think we do a really good job of kind of adhering to those and, and everything we do from the interviewing questions we have to our company manifesto, to how we conduct quarterly reviews, to how we, we if the mail person comes in and it's a hot day or, hey, can I get you a glass of water? It's that, that's the type of, that's, it's, we, those truly are core to us. And that has been ultimately what has made our culture great. Now, are we still seeing turnover? Yes, I'm losing somebody in a week. Um, it's, it's brutal right now. I mean, it's, you know, and we're competing a lot, our talent, we're competing a lot. It's less with other marketing agencies. And we're, when we lose people, a lot of times it's to a software company. These are companies that have massive amounts of funding. They can come, they can make ridiculous offers and have benefits that are just, we can't touch and we, we lose people. It's tough. I think also the agency world can be just a grind in general. It's it's not an easy space. It's a lot of hard work. But you know, I think if you have that core culture or that those core values in place and then your culture re, like naturally is a byproduct of that, if if everything's kind of lined up, you you make it a lot harder for people to leave. It, it, there's it's still going to happen, but it you you make it more difficult, I think. 
Now, how did you come up with your core values and how did you get, like were employees involved in that and how do they respond to those, sure. to the words that you created? They are all in on the core values. I hear them talking about them constantly, which is great. In terms of how we came up with them, we came up with them. I, I always, core values were one of those things, like I will be the first in it. I used to roll my eyes. I was like, this is stupid. This is like, these are just things that people put up in a boardroom and they have some sort of motivational poster and no one actually. But when we went through the exercise, we were working with a, a strategic planning partner and it was less like, what do you want to be? And it was more uncovering what we actually were. And we were a results-driven company. We were, like when Joe and I started this business, we were two guys that were like obsessed over reading everything we could about marketing, about work. Like we started this business because we worked on our, our portfolios together outside of work just for fun. We did like fake ca campaigns together. So that was the improvement piece. We knew that the best clients we had 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 come from great relationships that we had built, worked our whole lives to build, whether it was family, friends, whatever, that then connected us to people. Kindness, nobody wants to work with a jerk. So that, that was a huge part of it as, as well. And then inclusivity, admittedly, this was something that we opened our eyes in the past year, year and a half. Civil unrest, there was a lot going on. And we started looking around the office and we we're like, wow, a lot of us all kind of look alike and, and probably need to be more aware of, of that and, and think about how we can start to be more inclusive and not only different races and religions and things like that, but also just of now that we're in a remote setting, like if somebody works in California and somebody works in, in DC, well, we have to think about what time we're going to have our happy hour. Cause I, you don't want to make the person in, in California feel like she needs to have a beer at three o'clock. And <laughs> so, I mean, we want to be inclusive of just how we're working. So, you know, they were core to us. It was something they, we thought they were aspirational, but really when we started digging in, we're like, wow, this is who we really are. And, and that's, that was the light bulb that went off and, and employees were involved in the strategic planning committee, but the person directing this kind of exercise was like, this is when you know you've nailed it. They are already part of who you are. So many companies say, hey, we want to be this and we want to do this and that's fine. But if you're going to be aspirational, then you better have a plan on how you're going to actually achieve those, those core values. Right, right. Well, and it was funny because when you were going through that whole thing about the turnover and losing it to other bigger software companies and those type of things, I believe that a lot of manufacturers listening to this podcast can substitute those words with, well, we're competing with people who are leaving because they're going to Amazon, who has Amazon. deep pockets. And we're all in the same boat. Yeah. We're all looking at the, the same type of issues as far as finding and people keep finding and keeping people. And there's always going to be the big monster corporation with deep pockets who like sucks everybody into their yeah. realm. But it, it's focusing on the core values. And I really like the fact of not being aspirational, of, of being where you're at. I was working with a, uh, a foundry and what they did is they used one of those word cloud things mm. and they had all the employees putting in the top three words that they attributed to their company. And, you know, as a casting plan. So of course you had words like, you know, hot and hard and that type of thing. But for the most part, the biggest one, because when you do a word cloud, as you, as you know, the more somebody puts in one word, the larger that word gets in the cloud. 
And what they were very pleased to find is that the biggest word that came up for them was family. People felt like it was a family. And so I think that that's such a great point of, again, people listening to this, figuring out how to get started. It's like, don't put those high goals of what you aspire to be. Who are you now? And how can you make that just a little bit better going forward? Totally agree. Totally agree. And I, I also think just the key to getting started is like, and I still have not mastered this. I mean, I'm not even close. I am much better than I used to be, but that whole idea of like, you have two ears and one mouth, like listen to your people. There's some tools we have in place and for an office setting, they work great. I think they could work in a, in a manufacturing setting, but maybe not. I mean, really you need an environment where everybody has email, but there's a tool called office five. I was just on the, on a call with them today. And it's, it's weekly employee surveys that are very simple, very, they're actually fun to take. And it creates a massive data set that we always have access to, to kind of measure happiness and different things. So if we see numbers starting to trend a certain way, it's time to listen and find out what's going on and then address it and get it fixed before it becomes a problem, before it results in turnover. So that has been probably my biggest area of development the past couple of years is I think I've gotten to be a better listener. Again, I have a long way to go as any of my employees will tell you, but I, <laughs> I have learned the importance of that. Right. And so, and it's regular feedback, you know, yes. it's weekly and because it's weekly, it's also short and fun. So people aren't yeah. getting burned out in the process, but you also have that immediate gratification of noticing when something starts to go a little bit awry you know Correct that it. that's going on and you can take steps Correct. to fix that. Absolutely. The other thing that we mentioned from uh, our conversation is you have a buddy system there. Yeah. yeah. And talk about that. Yeah. So whenever somebody first starts a gorilla and this was something that kind of came up, did we do it before the pandemic? I can't remember. It, it became very relevant during the pandemic when we were all working in separate locations. But basically, when somebody new starts a gorilla, we pair them up with somebody who's been there longer. And it's typically somebody not in their department. It's somebody that maybe they wouldn't cross paths with at the time. And it's honestly nothing more than, you know, the that person kind of welcomes them with a, you know, typically a handwritten note at the beginning set some scheduled check-ins the first several weeks every week, just to be like, Hey, I'm here for you. You can ask there, you know, we totally believe and subscribe to there are no stupid questions or no whatever. But when you walk into a company and all you see are a bunch of names in a Slack channel or, or whatever, an email listserv or whatever. And you're like, all right, I got to ask, I'm just going to ask everybody this question that I might think is dumb or whatever. Well, it's much easier if you're just like, hey, you're the person they told me to talk to for stupid questions. I think this is a stupid question. You know, where do where in Dropbox do I save this type of file or where do I? So that buddy system is it's turned out to be a really positive kind of kind of addition. That person is in no means a manager of, of the new employee. It's more just kind of a, a spiritual leader, if you will, or, or even just kind of a just a peer, just a peer that is like, hey, I'm here for you and we'll, we'll get coffee. We'll do a weekly Zoom call and I just want to be here to check in. I do those as well, but new employees aren't going to tell me if something's broken. They're going to be like, yeah, everything's great. I love it. I'm so happy. But they will tell another employee if something's broken. Well, and you're setting them up from day one because I think that that's what the the problem is in a lot of times that new employee shows up and they their business cards aren't ready or their computer's not set up or there's an inch full of dust on their computer or they're in the trades, their truck is filthy, it's not yep. set up. 
versus just being prepared to rock out that first day yeah. with everything set. We're all expecting you. We have a little welcoming committee. And by the way, here's your buddy. And this is your one source for everything, because we all know in jobs that we've had in our careers, the very first person that we connect with, the first person that we have lunch with, the first person probably that says hello to us. Yeah, that's our best friend for life while we're there. So just using that type of, of buddy system of that connection from the first day is really setting people up for success. To totally agree. And it's something we have, we just revisited our entire onboarding process. And basically the minute that offer letter is signed, our process kicks off. And there, there are numerous touch points before that person even starts. Different people emailing different different things. And just so they start to meet the entire cast of characters, it's, hey, on your first day, this is wh where you'll park. And someone else will send a note. Hey, we always like people to be able to get lunch on us the first day. Here's a gift card for Postmates, 20 bucks. I mean, small stuff, but stuff that adds up and makes that initial experience so, so big. Because the minute they start, it's kind of like, it's kind of like driving a car off the lot. Like the minute the minute you drive that car off the lot, it's like getting older and, and things can start falling apart or whatever. Like the minute somebody starts, they can start having a bad experience. I think it's important the minute they start, make sure they start having a good experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the other thing to keep in mind too is just because they ended up taking the job for your with your company doesn't mean that other people who they also filled out applications for or went on other interviews for aren't still pursuing them. Exactly. So when you can start, you know, T minus a couple of weeks before they start and just have that connection and kind of build up that excitement that, wow, these people are really looking forward to me starting here. This must be a cool place to work. It just really changes the dynamics. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so when you think about the things that you've uh, done for Gorilla to make that culture one as one of the best places to work in your area as your goal. What would you say is your best tip? If somebody's listening today and they want to take step one in turning around their culture and improving their culture, what would that look like? I want to say, make sure you have these core values in place and all that. But I think even before that, the best thing to start doing is listening to your people, because I think that's the first step in, in any of it is, and it's the same one, like we were talking in the first part of this conversation about how do we write good content? Well, it's because we ask good questions and we listen to the answers. I think that's the same thing. I don't even know when it comes to this side of creating, a, or I don't even know when it comes to creating a great culture that you even have to ask great questions. You just have to listen and pay attention to what's going on. I think if you do that, you are headed down the right path. Um, that's not the, that's not where it stops. But I, I would say, you know, listening and then to roll that into a tactic, I think of a tool like Office Vibe that helps me listen. We wouldn't have the culture we have today without that happening. I can tell you it's not the happy hours and it's not the beer fridge and it's not the ping pong tables and all that other stuff. It's 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 having a place that people believe is, is truly committed to certain ideals and values. That's my opinion, at least. Absolutely. Well, John, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you in our chat today. Uh, tell, share a little bit about how you work with your clients. And if somebody did want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So um, the way we work with our clients, we we, we kind of have a, a pretty set process now. 
we have, you know, there, there's kind of a discovery portion of what we do where, and then once we're done with that, we come with a written plan and, and provide that to the clients. They can then hire us to then execute that plan, or they can go somewhere else. We get paid for the discovery portion as well. That first portion is kind of called that phase one implementation. It's roughly, we're, we're kind of working on this right now, changing it a bit, but it's roughly about nine months of implementation and what we want to see are results in those nine months. We know that when Clients spend a lot of money and we are not cheap. When they spend a lot of money, they expect to see results. So we have a plan for nine months. We're going to get you results. After that, if, if it makes sense, they then roll into like kind of an ongoing retainer and we just work indefinitely with them. And, and it's kind of like a, hey, give us 90 days notice to, to opt out of the contract and you can opt out at any time. But most of our clients are reoccurring clients. In terms of the best way to get a hold of me, Gorilla76.com and that's G-O-R-I-L-L-A 76.com. That's the that's our website. I'm just John J-O-N at gorilla76.com. If you put an H in there, it'll still come to me because I know everybody in the world puts an H in it. <laughs> and then I'm on LinkedIn, John Franco, J-O-N-F-R-A-N-K-O, um, where you know I try to con- contribute some content here and there that that's useful. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of on all the channels. All right. Well, again. John, thank you so much for being here and sharing your insights with us today. All right. Thank you very much. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.